What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hi, guys. Welcome to The Liz Wheeler Show. I'm Liz Wheeler. Well, we have a lot to talk about today. President Trump has formally announced his candidacy for president of the United States for 2024. I don't know about you, but it kind of seems far off. Like there's a little bit of a disconnect to me from right now, since it's just one week after the midterms, to the next presidential election. But I want to break down today exactly what this means. Also, also, I don't know if you guys saw this, but do you get the Trump emails? Are you on his list? Yesterday, right before he started speaking, they sent out an email, or this was like an hour or two before his speech. They sent out an email and they said uh, they were fundraising off of, the headline was, the, uh, the biggest speech or the most significant speech in American history. And it absolutely cracked me up. It was worth watching. We did a live stream watch party on Locals, watching the whole speech. It was like, what, an hour and six, seven minutes? And it was worth watching. It was pretty interesting start to finish. There were some criticisms from the left about Trump's energy level. And I actually have thoughts about that. I have a little insider tip on that that I think most people are completely ignoring. We're going to talk about that. I also want to talk about what one of the my biggest concerns is not with Trump specifically, not with Trump the man, not with Trump the politician, not with Trump the president, but with our election system. I feel somewhat cynical about the system itself and how it's been electioneered by the Democrats. And I want to talk about how this plays into the next two years between now and the presidential election in 2024. Also, who would pay a million dollars to see a Trump-Biden debate matchup once again? Do you think that Biden will run again? Who do you think the Democrats are going to run against Trump in 2024? I also want to talk a little bit about what issues the Trump campaign should focus on. We have this divide right now between issues that are really, really important, critical to the success of our nation versus issues that land with politically independent or maybe uh, politically unaware people. And so the Trump campaign needs to be very nuanced about how they tow this line. So I want to talk about the three best things that he said in his announcement speech. Also, will there be any primary challengers to Trump? Will DeSantis run? Will Ted Cruz run? Will Nikki Haley run? Will Marco Rubio run? Will, I don't know, maybe Mike Pence run? Will Liz Cheney run? Uh, Will anybody challenge Trump or will they treat him with the deference of an incumbent? And if they don't, who exactly will be his challenger? Also, who might be his vice presidential running mate? Will he announce this person early on? Will he do this this campaign for the next two years solo until the last few months? We're going to talk about that and just kind of discuss my thoughts and concerns on this whole thing because two years is a very, very long time. A lot can happen, and it's actually our responsibility to make sure that a lot does happen in the next two years. So let's get to it. Okay. I like Nutrafol because it's natural and it works. That is a win-win combination for me. You know, I'm kind of a crunchy person. Well, you know that about me and I know about you that half people watching my show are balding men. Well, there's no shame in that, but there is a holistic solution for you, for men, 
that promotes both healthier hair and whole body wellness without drugs or prescriptions. It's called Nutrafol. Nutrafol is clinically shown to improve hair growth, thickness, and visible scalp coverage without compromise. And guys, we know what I mean when I say without compromise. A lot of these hair growth supplements impact, negatively impact your sex drive. Not so with Nutrafol. Nutrafol is made of 21 potent natural ingredients that actually support sex drive, supports better sleep, and less stress too. In a clinical study, men showed progressive improvement in hair growth and thickness after three and six months. You can grow healthier, thicker hair, and you can support our show at the same time. Win-win by going to Nutrafol.com and entering my promo code, Liz. If you use my promo code, you can save $15 off your first month subscription. This is their best offer anywhere. It's only available to U.S. customers for a limited time. Plus, you get free shipping on every order. That's $15 off at Nutrafol.com spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L dot com, promo code Liz. Okay, also guys, if you haven't subscribed to my show, go ahead and do that on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, click subscribe, on YouTube, on Rumble, click subscribe, and click the bell over there so that I can notify you every time we have new content, a video, an interview, an episode, a hot take, a live stream, whatever we're doing. Greatly appreciate it. Okay, so President Trump formally announced his candidacy for President of the United States for 2024. He took his sweet time getting to the actual announcement. He made us all wait, what was it, 15 minutes almost into his speech before he announced, but he finally did it. In order to make America great and glorious again, I am tonight announcing my candidacy for President of the United States. Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, so it was that shot. Did you see the cameras panning away? It was that shot kind of majestic looking in this great fancy ballroom in Mar-a-Lago. That's the reason that he announced at Mar-a-Lago. But I have to say, I have to say, this is where I have a little bit of a different opinion than you might be reading on Twitter. You might be hearing from your favorite pundit right now. The Democrats' main criticism during this speech and directly after was that it was low energy. It was actually, it's actually funny. They were accusing Trump of being old as they literally have President Vegetable in the White House, which I found to be funny. However, it, was, it, it wasn't low energy because of any problem with Trump. It was, it was uh, a little more staid or a little less enthusiastic on both the crowd side and Trump side because of the venue. This is, this is something that's easy to see working on this side of the camera as I do. The venue plays a huge role in how an audience reacts. If they're packed together, if they're sitting, if they're standing, if they feel in control of their environment, if they feel reverent in their environment. A venue is a, is really, really important to how any kind of show goes. This is a sort of show. This is a production, right? What this speech that President Trump did. And based on the energy of your audience, you moderate your energy to them. You don't wanna, you don't wanna have a situation where you feel like you're overly exciting and yelling and your audience is like, whoa, what's the deal with this guy? Or vice versa, you don't wanna be low energy when your audience is high energy. Well, where was this venue? This venue was a very formal, fancy ballroom. There were chairs everywhere for people to sit in. This was not 
like come in your work clothes, come as you are to a big stadium outside the airport where we're all going to be yelling anyway so that we can be heard over the sound of the jet engines. This is, this is not, um, this didn't have the chaos and the, the gritty atmosphere of a campaign rally, which is also why it didn't translate into feeling that energy that you would feel at a campaign rally. So of course the Democrats don't care about any nuance, but I thought you guys would want to know because, you know, production is what I do for a living. This kind of stuff is easy to see when you work in production and that's all it was. So not the greatest choice from a production standpoint to announce at Mar-a-Lago, but I understand that he was going for that big pan shot looking so majestic. So that's my two cents on that. I'm sure the Democrats are super interested in and properly and objectively analyzing why Trump's tone was the way it was and why people's um, responses were the way their responses were. Also, there are some people who are asking, people who are Trump supporters, people who are Republicans, conservatives, saying, okay, but why did Trump announce yesterday? Why did he announce in this speech last night? Why didn't he wait until after the runoff in Georgia? Why not put all this focus on Herschel Walker to help Herschel be elected to the Senate versus making the focus about Trump now. And here's the answer to why. Just an hour before Trump went on stage, you can see this on the screen, this is his filing with the FEC, his formal recognition of um, his organization to run for president. This is his, his legal declaration that he is an active presidential candidate, an active candidate for public office. You have to file this with the Federal Election Commission by, you know, with these forms. You can see all this, this governmental mumbo jumbo. And this, I think, is a critical part of the decision of why to announce now, because historically in our country, this is not a rule, but this is a norm, meaning a tradition that people respect and defer to. The norm is that the other side, in this case, it would be the Biden administration, would not indict their political opposition, would not indict an active candidate for office. So the norm would be that a Democrat president would not indict a Republican challenger to his office. Because why? Well, obviously, that smacks of political corruption, that smacks of political targeting. This could be why Trump announced this so early. The problem is, of course, is the Democrats have no interest in adhering to any kind of norms. They don't care about tradition. They don't care about morality. They don't care about appearing to be above using the power of the federal government to target their political enemy. The Biden administration will indict Trump. It's only a matter of time. I predicted that this would happen after the midterm elections because they didn't want Republicans and independents to be galvanized in Trump's favor the way that the Mar-a-Lago raid galvanized Republicans in, in behind Trump. I predicted that this would be um, after the midterms, and I still think that it will be. In fact, Andrew Weissman tweeted tonight, you might recognize that name, Andrew Weissman was part of the, uh, the, the Mueller probe, the FBI, the the targeting of President Trump with Russia collusion. This is what Andrew Weissman tweeted. Running for office is not a quote-unquote get-out-of-jail-free card. There, will, there were multiple active state and federal investigations into Trump before he said he would run for president. His declaration has nothing to do with the validity of those investigations and any resulting charges. He tweeted this at 9.43 p.m. Um, last night, during literally during the speech. So we already know that whether or not President Trump based some of his, his timing on the fact that he's maybe hoping the Democrats would adhere to these norms. They're not going to. They're still going to indict him. But that could be possibly why. Overall, this, his speech was, a, was very good. His speech was a proper contrast between 
what he accomplished as president and how he would accomplish more of the same if he were to be reelected with what President Biden has done to our country. You know, he talked about our nation's comeback. He talked about how he presided over the greatest economy in the history of the world, that everybody was thriving, no matter what your age, no matter what your your sex, male or female, no matter what your socioeconomic status, no matter what your race, no matter what your religion, any of these things, people in our country were thriving like never before. And that's a really good place to begin. That's a good baseline to say, okay, this is what I gave you. Now, what is the other side giving you? And, you know, he talked about our nation being respected. We, we had a free nation, a strong nation. And then he contrasted this with the Biden administration over the last two years. He said, we're a nation in decline. We are a failing nation. He said, this, this, this Biden era has been a time of pain, hardship, anxiety, and despair. And he pointed to inflation, to rising gas prices, to the border crisis, to fentanyl. Very valid, very pertinent, very effective comparisons. I really liked the bone structure, the skeleton of Trump's speech. I think that if that's a message that he's going to use over the next two years, it's a very, very good one. And it will be a very effective one. On that note, I have three pre-existing concerns with President Trump as a presidential candidate for 2024. We've talked about these before. They are not without remedy, but they are concerns that need to be addressed. The first concern is the people that he surrounds himself with. Historically, during his first administration and then after his first administration, he has surrounded himself largely with suck-ups, morons, and deep-staters. I don't like that. That's a major liability. Most of the problems that the Trump administration had was due to the suck-ups, the morons, and the deep-staters that he surrounded himself with. That has to change. And he has to, he has to understand and verbalize that he learned his lesson with how to pick people. Because otherwise, why would that change? And then why would the next administration be different? My second concern is Trump's inability to drain the swamp during his, during his first term in office. I understand that it's not as easy as one president simply, you know, flipping that bathtub, flipping that bathtub drain and all these, all these swamp creatures getting sucked back into oblivion. It's not that easy because there are civil service protections, but four years, Trump did not issue any kind of executive order on this until January of 2021, weeks before he left office, he finally tried to use his executive power to um, eliminate these civil service protections so that that deep staters who were actively subverting the administration they worked for could be fired. That I, I find very problematic. And then the third concern that I have is um, President Trump's fourth year, what he did with COVID. He's responsible for elevating Fauci. He's responsible for the COVID vaccine. He did not take a stand against mask mandates. He did not take a stand against lockdowns. And he has, he has made no indication. He has, he has not said anything like, oh, I learned my lesson. Oh, I regret this. Oh, Fauci's corrupt. Big Pharma's corrupt. The lockdowns were anti-American. Masks are bullshit. Nothing of that nature. Um, although, to be fair, tonight was a pretty good start. This is, this is I'm going to interrupt myself in, these, in this litany of concerns because this is one of my favorite things. This is one of the top three things that President Trump said in his speech tonight about uh, vaccine mandates for military members. I did. And in the first day, they put it back. They signed an executive order and they put it back. It was gone. We will abolish every Biden COVID mandate and rehire every patriot who was fired from our military. 
with an apology and full back pay. Okay, so I have thoughts on this and I have thoughts on the three concerns about Trump that I just listed. We're gonna talk about that in just a second. But first I wanna talk about Cozy Earth. Let me ask you this. How did you sleep last night after this speech of Trump's? If you answered this question, well, not so great, or just okay, or please don't ask, well, you're not alone. Maybe politics is bothering you, but one out of three Americans report being sleep deprived and your bed sheets could be part of the problem, which might be an easier problem to solve than politics. It's why I like cozy earth sheets. The wrong sheets can trap body heat, leaving you boiling one minute and freezing the next. It's absolutely the worst in the wintertime. The solution is cozy earth sheets. They're the softest, most luxurious, and best temperature regulating sheets on the planet. It feels like sleeping on a cloud, which makes sense because they're made from bamboo, which allows cozy earth sheets to breathe so that you can sleep at the perfect temperature all year round. And trust me, I know what I'm talking about. I have cozy earth sheets on my bed at my house right now. I love them. I know that you will love them too. And if you're not completely in love, you can just send it back for a full refund. And I got a good deal for you. You can now save 35% on cozy earth bamboo bedding, 35%. Just go to cozyearth.com slash Liz35. You have to hurry, this offer ends soon. That's CozyEarth.com slash L-I-Z-3-5. CozyEarth.com slash Liz-35. Okay, so first of all, that clip of President Trump saying that he would reinstate military members and other government employees who were fired from their positions because they refused to take the COVID-19 mRNA shot, that he would not only reinstate them, but give them full back pay. I like that. I love that, actually. That is the way to fight back against the radical left. There should be no COVID amnesty, like Emily Oster, Professor Emily Oster suggested. Absolutely not. You don't let your opposition, your political enemy off the hook when they have tried to gouge your heart out. No pun intended with the COVID jab. Of course you don't. Love that about President Trump. He's not afraid to fight. But these three concerns that I have with him, these are not without remedy, right? These are things that should be relatively easy to address. And they are three things that I have not only thought a great deal about, but I have spoken to conservatives in politics, in office, in the media industry, in activism, and voters across the country who feel the same way. These are three things that President Trump would do well to address in the eyes of his base because the remedies to these are not only important, they're easily attainable, but they're critical for galvanizing the support that he wants and he needs for his presidential run in 2024. However, here's where my cynicism, I need to, I need to let my cynicism flag fly here for a second. One of the thoughts that was dominating my mind as I was watching this speech, and I shared, I shared this with you guys on Locals as we were live streaming, I feel this incredible cynicism about whether any Republican candidates can win the presidency. Whether it was Trump, whether it is Trump, whether DeSantis, Cruz, whoever it may be, I don't know if any Republican can win. We can, we can win public opinion. It's not that the Republican Party platform is bad. It's not that it's unpopular. It's not even that we're poor at communicating it. If we learned anything in the midterm elections, it's that, what, 73, even CNN was reporting that exit poll that said 73% of voters expressed anger or dissatisfaction with how President Biden has done in, the, in his first two years in office. We successfully 
turned public opinion against critical race theory and queer theory and in support of parental rights and school choice, our party platform is popular. And we can, we can present it to voters in a way that even allows and invites Democrat voters to vote for Republicans based on those issues. But we can win public opinion, but I don't know if we can win the presidency because of the system, because the system is rigged. How can you possibly justify, how can you marry what happened in the midterms with this incredibly unpopular president, inflation, gas prices, a whole host of radical leftist environmental issues that are causing energy bills to skyrocket, these poisonous ideologies that are targeting our children and government officials telling us that we as parents have no right over what our children learn in school or what vaccines are given to our children. How can you marry that with the outcome of some of these races? And my answer to that would be you can't. Now, President Trump, this is maybe the second most important thing that he said. Maybe this is even the first, the, the most important thing that he said in his speech announcing his candidacy for president. He talked about election integrity in a very tangible, very practical, very understandable way. Take a listen. We will do whatever it takes to bring back honesty, confidence, and trust in our elections. <laughs> to eliminate cheating, I will immediately demand voter ID, same-day voting, and only paper ballots. Okay, so I know a lot of you are saying, well, the president doesn't have the unilateral authority to do any of those three things. And sure, that's true. But the president of the president of the United States is the leader of his party, and the candidate for president for each party is the leader of their party, which means the president, in this case, President Trump, is setting, helping set or leading the party platform for the Republican Party, which is not just at the federal level. This also impacts states. This is what states should be doing. This is how election security should be handled. It should be handled in a way where you can articulate exactly what you need to be done, exactly what ought to solve the problem in a way that everyone can understand and everyone can repeat. Because when it's vague and it's intangible and there's gray areas and there's feelings that don't match with facts and facts that don't match with feelings, it's too difficult to understand and people end up dismissing it. This is exactly what needs to be done. Voter ID, same day voting, and only paper ballots, 100%. The only thing that he didn't mention was vote harvesting. We're gonna talk about that uh, shortly in a little bit. But he, here's what Republicans face. I don't present this cynical opinion of mine to you in order to demoralize you. I don't think that this is a cause or a large battle that we just surrender, it's over, there's nothing we can do, the Democrats have won. I don't believe that for a second. We have a choice to make though, as Republicans and as conservatives, we have a choice to make and part of that choice involves recognizing the reality that we're facing so that we can calibrate our actions accordingly. And so recognizing the reality that we're facing is recognizing that McConnell is wrong. 
McConnell came out yesterday and said that, you know, the candidates that were running for Senate show that the American voter wants a more centrist, wants a more moderate type of candidate, that their quote unquote extreme rhetoric is a turnoff to voters. That is incorrect. That is wrong. He has the complete, I don't, I don't know where he gets his worldview. I don't know if he believes this himself, but it's patently untrue. And the problem with McConnell is not that he, in his role as, well, I guess Senate Minority Leader, but Senate Majority Leader under Trump, it's not that he's bad at doing the political game, that part he's good at, but he doesn't recognize the reality of the political enemy we're facing, and that's where he goes wrong. If we don't recognize that, we won't be able to calibrate our actions to properly fight this fight, fight it well, fight it in a way that we win. So what we have to recognize is that, the, is that the system is rigged and that we have to fix it. So we probably won't be able to win the presidency until and unless we reform our election systems in states across the country, which we can do, or we use the rigged election systems to win the way the Democrats are using them to win. Now, I'm not suggesting that we cheat, that we're amoral or dishonest the way the Democrats are, However, the Democrats have built up this incredible apparatus to make election season, to take election day and expand it to election season. This isn't just an, uh, a passive opportunity that voters have to cast their ballots early in case they're gonna be out of town or in case you know they have a surgery planned or something like that. No, the Democrats have built up an apparatus where they encourage and actively propel people to vote early to secure their vote whether this is ballot harvesting, whether this is this is almost coercion in a sense. Remember a couple years ago, I, I know I've played this video on the show before, but remember a couple years ago in California, vote harvesting is legal in California. And there was this video that was captured by someone's ring doorbell. It showed a young Democrat staffer. It was a girl. She was probably like 20. She looked very young. She might've even been in college. And she rang the doorbell and said, hey, I'm here to pick up so-and-so's ballot. And the owner of the home was like, what? She goes, yeah, I'm here to pick up so-and-so's ballot. Like, you're a Democrat, right? And the owner of this house is like, what are you talking about? She's like, yeah, I'm only, I'm here to pick up your ballot, but only if you're a Democrat. And I thought there has never been a more perfect encapsulation of the electioneering, like whether that's technically illegal, it maybe isn't illegal in California, but it certainly is, 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 is not fair. It's certainly unethical to only apply vote harvesting to one party while pretending that you are engaging in, in, in free and fair elections. And so my point here is, no, we shouldn't cheat. We shouldn't rig the system, but we should build an apparatus to compete with the Democrats in early voting. Because if we, if we act like there's just election day, because that's what we want the reality to be, while the Democrats are acting like there's election season because that's the reality of the thing, then we're never going to compete. We're always going to have a deficit that we can't overcome. And so what we should do is we should compete for election season while we are simultaneously advocating that election season be shrunk back to election day. And if we don't do that, then can a Republican candidate win no matter how good they are? I don't know. I don't know. The question is also, will there be any primary challengers to President Trump, or will he be treated with the deference that comes with being the incumbent? We're going to talk about that in a second, but first I want to talk to you about a new app that I've been using that I think you'll love. It's called Upside. We're all cringing when we fill up our gas tank. We're all getting 
just terrible grocery bills because inflation is hitting us all where it hurts, which is everywhere, everything that we try to buy. And that's why I started using Upside. Upside is an incredible app for everyone. If you buy gas, if you buy groceries, if you dine out, if you are spending money, it is for you. Because with every purchase, I'm actually earning cash back thanks to Upside. And I promise it it sounds too good to be true, but it's not too good to be true. I've used it and it works. This is how to get started. Download the free Upside app. It is free. Then use my promo code Liz5 and you can get $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more. Here's how it works. You just claim an offer for whatever you're buying on Upside. You check in at the business, you pay as usual with a credit or debit card, and then you get paid by Upside. In comparison to credit card rewards programs or loyalty programs, you can earn three times more cash back with Upside. Upside users are earning more than a million dollars a week. So get started. Join me. Download the free Upside app and use promo code Liz5 to get $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more. That's $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more using promo code Liz. But first, you have to download the free Upside app. Will there be anybody who dares to challenge President Trump? He's made it pretty clear that he doesn't want anybody to run against him in the Republican primary for 2024. What's the answer to this? Is there going to be a challenger? Here's here's how I would answer this. I always have to give um, context for my answer. I would say, as of today, no. No serious ones, at least. I expect, you know, Evan McMullen or Liz Cheney or somebody who's just a joke. Sure, there'll be those kind of challengers. Nobody that requires a primary debate, most likely. There, I, I, As of today, I say no serious challengers to President Trump running for president. Now, so I'm talking DeSantis, I'm talking Cruz, I'm talking Nikki Haley, I'm talking Marco Rubio, I'm talking Mike Pence, I'm talking anybody else who, any of the sort of perennial candidates who have run in the past and may want to run again in the future. Now, this could change. We're two years out from this presidential election, almost a year out from when candidates would typically announce. They would typically announce in the summer, perhaps, of the year before. So could something happen between now and a year from now that would prompt one of these more serious candidates to challenge Trump? Sure, that's possible. But my guess would be, at this point, at this moment, all other things notwithstanding, no serious challengers to President Trump. I think he will be treated with the deference of the incumbent. And in answer to so many questions, yes, I have seen the polls showing DeSantis being more popular than President Trump among certain parts of the Republican electorate. Yes, I have heard the Republican senator say that DeSantis is the leader of the Republican Party now. Yes, I have heard President Trump's insults about DeSantis. Yes, I have read Trump's tweets picking on DeSantis, and I have something to say about this. What I have to say about this is I don't care. I have no interest in getting involved in that drama because that's what it is. It is drama. No interest in getting involved except to say that it's not particularly helpful to our overall cause. I certainly understand what President Trump is doing. He is defending what he considers to be his territory. He thinks of himself as the incumbent. No, he's not entitled to the presidency again, but he thinks of himself as the incumbent, so he's defending his his sphere. Um, I also understand that people whose votes he needs to count on are off-put by in-party fighting. I would probably take that into consideration if I were him in how he defends his position. Um, Or if you don't want to be diplomatic about it, don't destroy people fighting our fight in our party. We have leftists and rhinos and deep staters and why target the good guys that's my that's my take on that i don't think it factors 
heavily into into this speech from last night. But the larger point about the Trump versus DeSantis um, drama that the mainstream media is generally trying to gin up, Trump, of course, took part a little bit in that, is Trump would not have to worry about being treated with the respect or the deference of the incumbent if people weren't worried about his chances at winning. And I don't think that this is a commentary on Trump himself or Trump's capability of being a candidate or Trump's capability of being president. This is, this just brings us back to election integrity. If people weren't worried about whether any Republican could win, they wouldn't be having, they wouldn't be susceptible to the left trying to incite infighting in our party to destroy us and divide us even more. And here's the thing. I actually don't care anymore that the election integrity issues are quote unquote unpopular with swing voters, right? That's what we've been told for the last three years is that, okay, the Republican base thinks that the 2020 election was rigged. The Republican base wants election integrity to be one of the primary focuses, but the candidates or even the the politicians in elected office can't talk about that a lot because it's off-putting to the middle voters, the centrist voters, the moderate voters, the independent voters. So when you're a candidate, you oftentimes have to talk to mostly the independent voters because you can count on your base to love you. You could count on the base of the other party to hate you, but it's the middle voters that you have to appeal to so you can't appear too radical one way or the other. I just literally don't care about that anymore. I do not care about the politics of the things. Republicans are not going to be able to win until we reform the election damage that has been done to our system, that has rigged the system, rendered it unfair. We don't have confidence in our election systems anymore. We have to fix that. We have ballot harvesting. We have ballot curing, both of which are being abused. There is, it's not just a situation where we can look at ballot harvesting and saying, well, that's a practice that leaves an incredible vulnerability to fraud. No, there is fraudulent behavior associated with ballot harvesting. Early voting, universal mail-in ballots. The question that the Republican Party needs to answer, because after 2020, let me back up for a second. After 2020, the Republican Party, and this was partially, Trump was partially responsible for this, although he wasn't the only one by any, by any stretch. After 2020, the Republican Party made a mistake in how they handled the electioneering that happened in 2020. They, we, we, we went with our gut. We said, oh my goodness, this was obviously rigged. There were obviously major problems. And we pointed to some specific shady ideas instead of being able to hand over tangible proof. And we were right that our feelings were informed by reality, but what Trump and his associates were not strategic in doing was making the case by first unraveling what exactly did happen. And I know there wasn't a lot of time, and I know that the electioneering caught a lot of Republicans unaware. I understand this. But this time around, we cannot do the same thing. This time around, we have to sit here and be like, okay, ballot harvesting, ballot curing, early voting, universal mail-in ballots. We have to set those things in front of us on the table and we have to say, where exactly did the fraud occur? Is it outright fraud that happened? Like is someone walking in with a batch of fake ballots that they dropped off at a Dropbox? Or is it not 
outright fraud, meaning not fake ballots filled out by cheaters? Is it election workers who, in the process of curing ballots, are only curing Democrat ballots or curing ballots just so that they appear Democrats and throwing out batches of Republican ballots? Is, is it even, which would be against the law, obviously, is it something that's not against the law, but is certainly unethical? The demographic targeting, like Democrats going into a nursing home and having a ballot harvester help, quote unquote, help elderly people fill out ballots just in a certain way, and then taking those ballots to the Dropbox. What is actually happening? I cannot overstate the importance of finding out the answers to those questions. You and I sitting right here, we shouldn't just point to what's happening in Arizona, point to video cameras being turned off, point to what happened in Pennsylvania. We have to be able to answer those questions. And the only way that we will be able to answer those questions is if the Republican Party as a whole dedicates a tremendous amount of energy and political capital and money to conducting investigations to find out those answers. And I forgot someone, by the way, someone else in Republican leadership who should lose her job after the midterm elections. That's RNC Chair Ronna Romney McDaniels. This woman has presided over repeated Republican losses. It should be the RNC's job to conduct these investigations and to finance them. They are in charge of election procedure, election apparatuses, supporting states. But what has she done? Nothing. The Republican Party, the GOP, has to be single-mindedly focused on unraveling corruption. And I, I know that all of these, there are so many Republicans that are like, listen, Trump was treated unfairly in office. Russia collusion was a hoax that was unfair. He shouldn't have been impeached, but we have to move past that. We can't live in the past. We can't relitigate this. Voters don't want to hear about this stuff anymore. We have to just, you know, let bygones be bygones and be bygones and focus on the future. And let me tell you, if we do that, we will never win another presidential election. We have to be single-mindedly focused on, on unraveling the corruption that underpinned the Russia collusion hoax, the Obama administration, the Department of Justice, the FBI all took part in that, the Ukraine impeachment hoax, Fauci, the NIH, Big Pharma, COVID, January 6th, the Whitmer Fed napping, the FBI raid on Mar-a-Lago, the FBI's infiltration of every right-wing group that opposes the Biden administration. It doesn't matter if talking about these topics is unpopular because the midterms proved that even with popular issues, even when Republicans win popular opinion on their issues, they can't win elections because the system is rigged. And so we have to unravel the corruption. If we let bygones be bygones, all that does is tell the left that they can use this system that they have created, the system they created to destroy Trump, they can use that system to destroy you and me and any other candidate that we ever pick and ever run for election. They will be emboldened, they will be empowered. They don't learn their lesson and move on happy that they got away with what they got away with. They do it again. 
any Republican candidate, any Republican politician, any Republican official who doesn't understand the reality of the political enemy that we are facing is incapable of properly calibrating their actions to make sure that our systems remain free so that our countries can, country can remain free so that our families are free. There's one other aspect of the midterm elections that plays into President Trump's announcement, and that is we have to, over the course of the next two years, and President Trump has actually done this better than almost anyone else. He did this in 2016, better than maybe any modern politician going all the way back to perhaps FDR. We have to reintroduce the Republican Party and the label Republican, the associations that people automatically feel when they hear Republican. We have to reintroduce this Republican label to voters on their own terms. It's, it's a rebranding, if you will. I know that that is a trite term used in politics a lot. But we overestimate, as Republicans, we do this. We overestimate how difficult it is for people who historically voted Democrat and who have been indoctrinated for literally decades, indoctrinated into this, this narrative that Republicans are evil, how difficult it is for those people to simply look and say, okay, my gas, it's, it's more expensive to fill up my gas tank, my groceries are costing more, my paycheck is shrinking, I guess I'll just vote Republican out of my own interest. That's actually not a very realistic scenario. There are not very many people who can do that, who can simply put their, pre, their preconceived biases aside and, and vote based on just one issue and which politician is promising to address that issue in the smartest way. That is not how a lot of people are able to operate. Probably most of us are unable to operate like that. And we have to meet these voters on their term. We have to introduce ourselves again. What, what is the Republican Party? Who are Republicans? How does the Republican Party meet your needs where you are? Not just talking about, there are a lot of voters, honestly, who don't care about the Constitution, who don't care about the founding, who don't care about um, limited government and low spend and, and, and being fiscally responsible. Not that any Republican cares about that these days, but different, not, I digress. A lot of voters don't care about that stuff, and we try to convince them to vote for us based on our terms versus meeting them on their terms, and that's a, it's a huge mistake. What we need to do is we need to go up to them and introduce ourselves and say, hi, I'm a Republican, and then give them permission to vote Republican, say, it's okay for you to change your mind. Parties change. People change. If you're first for school choice, so are we. If you as a parent want to be involved in your children's educational decisions, so do we. If you want to run a small business and you don't want government telling you that you have to force your employees to be vaccinated, we agree with you. We will stand with you. We are your champion. And say, so maybe you voted Democrat before, and that's okay. But it's also okay to vote Republican based on the fact that people's cha people change and parties change. And, and by the way, I, I said before, Trump actually did this better than almost anyone else. He, he spoke in 2015 and 2016 to the white working class voter, and he successfully did exactly that. He said, hey, I'm a new brand of Republican. I'm here to fight for you because I understand your problems and your terms. And let me tell you how I'm going to go about fixing that. And it worked. It worked to the point the Democrats were so afraid of a, of a rebranding of the Republican Party. They were so afraid of losing the white working class vote that they had to rig the system so that it wasn't a fair fight. So what do I do if I'm Trump? 
if I'm Trump for the next two years, I think very carefully about what I want my ca- campaign to be focused on, to be centered on. How, what do I want the thesis of my campaign to be? This is what I would do if I'm Trump. I would make parents the focus of the campaign. I would speak to them on their terms about the problems they face and promise to be their champion. If I'm Trump, I'd disavow the vaccine. This is gonna be the hardest one for him to do. I would champion those who are harmed by the vaccine. If you can galvanize the support of the people harmed either at their workplace, meaning they've lost their jobs or physically harmed by the vaccine, you have galvanized an incredible base of people in our country. I would, I, if I'm Trump, I disavow the lockdowns and Fauci. If I'm Trump, I show exactly as chief executive, if I'm in the Oval Office again, how do I drain the swamp? How will I do this? Because he promised to do it the last time and he didn't, he didn't succeed in doing that. Show us how you're going to do it this time. Talk about reforming big pharma and how that's going to be done. Talk about reforming big tech and how that's going to be done. And do not bend a knee on abortion. I know that the narrative from the left right now is that abortion lost the midterms. That's a false narrative. It's how the Democrats successfully branded abortion as being contraception and ectopic pregnancy and rape. And Republicans didn't fight back. They bent a knee before the midterms on abortion. And that's why the Democrats pretending that abortion is not abortion galvanized single women to vote for the Democratic Party in the name of abortion. If I'm Trump, I spend the next two years exposing the Democrats' corruption, destroy the powerful Democrats who are at the core of this corruption, at the core of this rigged system. If I'm Trump, I show in a simple way, an elementary way, a compelling way, how his policies help voters with the things that they're struggling with in their life. All I could think of towards the end of Trump's speech was, what did we learn from the student loan debt trick that Biden just pulled in the midterms? He promised people that he'd, that he'd erase their student loan debt. He knew that this was illegal. He had no authority to do this, but it didn't matter because people drew that correlation. Oh, I better vote for Biden because then I won't have this $30,000 bill to pay back. They voted for him and then a court overturned it and said he's not allowed to do that. And it shows that people will draw this correlation between something that impacts their life and their vote if they are shown that correlation. If I'm Trump, I fight the culture wars hard because the culture wars matter, and that's the most important thing, but also because look at the number of GOP voters in the midterms. I know we lost key races, but look at the map of the United States. It's mostly red after the midterms. The culture war, the way that we are waging the fight in the culture war is working. Whether it's critical race theory, whether it's school choice, whether it's queer theory, it is working because people agree with us. And stand against the globalists, the ones who want to harm us, the World Health Organization, the UN, the, the World Economic Forum, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation show their level of cronyism, how they're in bed with these corrupt Democrats, expose that. Nobody likes that on the right or the left. This is what I would do if I'm Trump. This is how I define my campaign in a way that galvanizes support on the Republican side and makes it very difficult for swing voters and independent voters to vote against him simply because he is Trump. I mean, this is what I will say. Two years is a very long time. It's a lot happens in two years, and it's our responsibility to make sure that a lot of happens in two years. But right now, it's time to buckle up. It's time to fight this fight, and it's time to make sure that our fighter understands the political enemy, the reality of the political enemy that we face, so that he can fight the fight well in a way that allows us to win. And my friends, it's our jobs, your job, and my job 
to hold him accountable to that. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is The Liz Wheeler Show. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.